Welcome to another episode of New Earth Medicine Podcast. Tonight, I'm honored to have John Smirnick with me. He is 46 years old, living in upstate New York. And yeah, it's just such an honor. Thank you for being here, John. Energy, thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. Thank Same. you. Yeah, likewise. Okay, so I want to start with your background and kind of how you got into yoga and anything that you want to share, you know, from your childhood or anything that's relevant for that history for people. Wow. That's quite a reflection, you know, what a journey. It's almost like everything was, yeah, right. It's (laughs) almost like everything was leading up to that, you know, Mm. before I even realized it or knew it. Yeah. Yeah. There's this amazing uh, interview with Bob Marley where the interviewer says, so how long have you been a Rasta man? He's like, well, I've been a Rasta from ever since, you know, (laughs) because what you is, is what you is, you know. So it's not a, you know, it's just a remembering of it, I think, in some way that, um, you know, walking this path. And uh, for me, it was a lot of my, my life was amazing, amazing parents, beautiful family, like great education highly driven, did well in school, like school, you know, school president, class president, like captain of the football team kind of thing, like three, nine student and, uh, you know, great family and just everything very blessed, very blessed in many ways. But um, I think ultimately, you know, as life continued on, there was this quest for something more, mm-hmm. but I didn't know it. I didn't really know that at first. Um, I started to feel this um, as I went through college and then I went to law school, actually. But I felt this almost dread, this dread feeling of this is how it is. Um, It doesn't make sense to a lot of people. And I can understand why, because it's not part of the bigger cultural story. But there was something about going to work getting up, going to work, coming home, eating, doing that, and living this strange nine to five thing or eight to seven or whatever it might be, that just horrified me. And particularly the idea of committing to something and getting locked into that without having really any idea what it is that I wanted to do. Um, which, Which led me to a lot of seeking behaviors and like seeking transcendence and, you know, um, like the music of, uh, I've always been a big music fan. I kind of grew up a hip hop head when it first started coming out in the mid eighties. Yeah. Fat boys and stuff like that. Then run DMC, then beastie boys, like in 86, I think. And hip hop was such a part of my life. But then in college, I I got into fish and the dead and, (laughs) and then I got into that whole kind of lifestyle. And, um, you know, my journey led me into a lot of, uh, a lot of pain and suffering through that seeking of the transcendence and, uh, you know, that that story of uh, coming to this precious now where there's great freedom from that story also involves um, a lot of addiction, a lot of suffering, a lot of pain. Um, You know, I also experienced deeply um, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder growing up and uh, tendencies towards depression later in life you know, even amidst how good everything always looked on the outside and things like that. And, um, you know, eventually my journey of recovery, which 
was preceded by many years of, of, of great pain and suffering and, and particularly affecting deeply those around me led to, um, well, when, when the time came to throw my hands up and say, I'm done, I can't do this anymore, yoga was right there. Mm. Um, I had uh, these amazing teachers in high school, the Betzes, and um, one was a history teacher and the other one was a middle school teacher that I didn't have. But they started in the, in the early 90s, like probably 92-ish. We live near Kripalu, the Kripalu mm -hmm. Institute mm -hmm. in Lennox, Mass. And, um, you know, it was quite interesting because I grew up Catholic. They were Catholic. They're all part of the church and things like that. Yoga wasn't a thing. I didn't know anything about it, um, my conscious mind anyway. And they started bringing around uh, teachers from Kripalu and down from the Lennox area. And they started offering classes and they offered it to high school kids off, off school property. And, um, you know, I did it once in high school. and I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. There's something to it, but never kind of dip back into it again. And then um, my, my mom and my sister kept doing it and they did it a lot. And then they started getting into healing touch and all these different type of modalities that I connected with and was like, yeah, I can, I understand, I'd like to understand this anyway or, or explore more. But then ultimately, you know, when the time came for me to, um, to kind of sober up, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I got I got really into yoga. I went to a class. I heard before that happened. I went to another class and I heard something. This was in the early, 2005, I think. And the teacher, uh, one of my first real you know real yoga teachers, he said in Shavasana, he's like, "Letting go isn't something you do. Letting go is what happens when you stop hanging on." And um, you know it was one of those things that just hit me. You know, and uh, I hung on to that. And you know yoga didn't save me or anything like that. But uh, when I decided to get sober, um, I really started getting deep, deep into yoga and then really kind of just threw myself into it. And then 90 days after I was sober, I was like, well, I, I really shouldn't go to festivals and concerts and things like that, at least right now. And the all or nothing thinking, I'm like, never again. <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, what was the festival down here at Hunter Mountain, Mountain Jam? Uh -huh. um, it's been a pretty big yearly festival and um, I'm like, I can't go. I'm just, it's not a safe place for me to be. I don't need to be there. And um, I was really starting to get into yoga and was really into music. And I was looking at Michael Franti's website and um, he was going to be at Omega Institute that weekend with these two people that I thought were kind of wily looking. Their names were Sharon Gannon and David Life, and I'm like, hmm, very interesting. But it was called Power to the Peaceful, and it was a weekend retreat at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, which is about an hour and a half from me, hour and forty minutes. And uh, I decided to sign up and go. And you know, as it, as they say, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And and I, through the music of Michael Franti, met my teachers that weekend, Sharon Gannon and David Life, who created Jiva Mukta Yoga, and um, that just started a all-out love affair with yoga and with them and uh, I studied incredibly intimately and deeply with them you know from 2006 every opportunity I could probably until about well until about about 2017 or so so it was a, a solid 11 years that I, I spent as much time as I as I could with them and um, you know deeply life-altering uh, experience and uh, 
it really seeded uh, it seeded the journey of self-realization and to receive the deeper teachings of yoga and the integration of yoga with bhakti and and all the various aspects of um of striving towards a deeper freedom and liberation and evolving our consciousness in life i mean even like you know my grandfather owned a, a meat market we you know we grew up like eating cold cuts italian cold cuts and meat from the good and like in college my favorite meal was like I'd go to this biker bar the dinosaur barbecue at syracuse and get like a half rack of ribs and fries and chili and like with meat and have a guinness and uh and that was just you know that was part of it never entertained things like vegetarianism or veganism and uh you know, all of a sudden life started changing, you know, like I started getting sober and um, I did start practicing law actually after that. And um, so did so you were in college during all of this? No, actually, this was after law school. So okay. I went to Syracuse uh, 90, 94 to 98, graduated Syracuse in 98, went to a lot of fish shows in between, mm -hmm. did substitute teaching, things like that, did some radio work. I went to Syracuse for broadcast journalism. Wow. And then, um, and then I ended up going to law school. My sister went to Boston College Law, and eventually I thought, I had convinced myself that this is what I wanted to do. Like, yeah. But in some ways, ultimately, I did it because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I knew it wasn't a bad thing. And it gave me three more years. And yeah. unfortunately, those those three years or the time of law school it developed some even worse habits and, <laughs> and ways. And, and so I started I, I got out of law school in 2004. And then I passed the bar and I started practicing law in 2005. And that's when I bottomed out. That's when I um, really reached the bottom. And then I, I got sober in 2006. And um, that's when I really got into yoga. And then, you know, like, I just dove headlong in and, and so much happened, I think, because I, when I met Sharon and David, I was so over suffering all of the yeah. sufferings that I created, all the sufferings of whatever it might be in life, you know, that uh, I became, I think what it was is that the ego became uh, humble enough to begin to, to receive more than all of the limitations of every, you know, of this, that, and the other thing of how, of the story of how it is, including my diet, which I never even considered. And, um, you know, within a few months, I became vegetarian in 2007. I became vegan. I've been vegan ever since. And, uh, you know, just changing my orientation to, to beings. I think I, I had gotten to the point where I was so over suffering that I, the, the ego became receptive enough to understand a greater interconnection and the consequences of my actions on beings and coming to a point where actually I decided it was actually all through God's grace. There's nothing that I've ever really yeah. done to be honest, except go the wrong way. Um, even that was the way it turns out, but you know, but that's, that's all it, the wrong way is the right way. Right? It is the way right? the whole, that whole path was the way Yeah. because then emerging from that was this path of liberation. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, interesting, like when you like so many stories, that's how it goes. It's like, it takes reaching that rock bottom to like, find that kind of moment of surrender or letting go or like some the ego is like 
enough is like is enough and like I can be open to something else it takes like and this is you know it just makes me think of like Shiva it's like this is like the destruction before the rebuild that Shakti brings right and and even that destruction though is grace right oh yeah it's absolutely you know it's like I mean that's the whole the whole foundation of of recovery of 12-step recovery is that there's that common calamity there's that you know, that humiliation that leads finally to, you know, the self-will that leads to humiliation that leads to humility finally. And then that admission of, you know, that admission of powerlessness and that, that surrender. I can't, God can, so let him, you know, or let her. And, um, you know, it's, it's the same teaching of yoga, of yoga, the sutra, you know, and also it's like, there's this beautiful yoga sutra, Heyam Dukam Anagatam in the second mm-hmm. book, which is, uh, suffering that hasn't happened can and should be avoided, um, which is what the path of yoga is for. And ultimately, that suffering only comes to a, a conclusion when it says the mind has been dissolved back into the material matrix so that you're actually in pure soul consciousness. You know, And so yoga is actually that technology that leads to the transcendence of suffering in life. And the only way that that actually could ever happen is by knowing who you really are, you know, as a pure spirit soul, not identify, having a body and mind, but being transcendental to it while in it, you know, and yeah. while being firmly ple- present. And, um, you know, it doesn't mean that the circumstances that cause suffering stops. Right. You know, but, but it's how we respond know, to them or exactly, who we are in those moments. You know, until that moment when we're all Jivan Muktas, Right. Hopefully we become better uh, adaptable to see when we've strayed from center so we can come back. You know, if anything, hopefully that window of suffering or the time we're marinating in it or mm-hmm. resisting to self-love or whatever it is, help, whatever is going to help us to overcome that. Hopefully that window shortens and, yeah. you know, we, we begin to live with more uh, with more awareness and more skillful means, I think, if anything, you know. So. And that's what sin actually means is missing the mark or straying from the mark. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So like when you said that, that's exactly what came to mind is, you know, the definition of sin means to like stray from the path or to miss the mark. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. Well, so for me, um, for someone listening who isn't um, a practitioner or doesn't maybe have um, a clear understanding about some of the deeper integrated words that we're using, what would you say was like, you know, like it's all grace and like, you know, it's like hard to say like how we come to understand or understand these things. Like right. even even for me today, it's right. like. I'm not sure like how those things happen. You know, I think it happens over many lifetimes and by a lot of grace. Um, But, you know, someone who's wanting the things that you're describing, say they're in this place. Like, I think, you know, we've reached a point in humanity where there's a lot more suffering, I think, today than there has been, you know, anxiety and depression. And the prophecy is that, you know, 90% of the people on earth are going to be like severely struggling and drowning as we move forward. And so people who hear this, like what would be, you know, if they haven't reached that point, but they're like getting there, you know, what would be like something you could offer on their journey? You know, if they're like, okay, like where do they start? (laughs) Right. 
where they are, you know, right there. You know, that's the only place. That's the only place to do it. You know, it's a, it's such an interesting thing. I think, um, you know, the Hopi prophecy. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a river moving now, very fast. It is so great and swift. Uh, some will be afraid. They will hold on to the shore. They will feel they are being torn apart and will suffer greatly. No, the river has its course. The elders say we must let go of the of the bank, push off into the river, see who's in there with us, and celebrate. You know, and that's what it is. And the river is love. But uh, when we have, you know, accepted or come to uh, accept as the reality of systems, and uh, you know, the root of it all is the false ego. Um, so even at some point in the journey finger pointing and blaming systems and trying to tear down systems that, that even goes away but mm -hmm. um love is the river and it makes everything new and it exposes where the absence to that love is and where the absence of the connection of the soul and the connection to god is um so sometimes when that flow of love comes i mean that's actually why christ said i came as the sword and the sword is love um, the sword reveals the presence of divine love reveals its absence as the non-dual reality love being the nature of everything who we really are the nature of God that which you know controls the material energy um, you know so I like to believe that there I don't I've never heard that 90% prophecy but uh you know, my hope is that through the commitment to the transformation of my own consciousness mm -hmm. and uh, to my own spiritual growth and the evolution of my consciousness, that um, not, uh, you know, not in that uh, there's a difference between Christ consciousness and uh, Christ complex, this mm -hmm. I'm going to save the world mm -hmm. type thing or, I, you know, that type of thing. But by returning to our endogenous original state of, of that divine unconditional love through practice, obviously, um, you know, that, that our presence and the presence of, of those who are choosing um, to be a part of the solution and choosing to help alleviate the suffering of beings, I mean, which is why we're here, that in some way that we can, we can help be a life raft or a life vest, you know, for those who are drowning. And I think that's so much of what the process of our lives is. All of the struggles and all of the challenges in all of the sufferings, whether it's opiate addiction, whether it's alcoholism, whether it's depression, whether it's OCD, whether it's tragic deaths and traumas. I mean, yoga philosophy would tell us that it's not happening to us, it's happening for us. Right. And that in any given moment, we have the choice of how we respond and react. And if we choose to, you know, begin to see those things as opportunities for us to surrender deeper, to become more humble, to, to surrender more to God, to cry out for God more, those types of things, then anything that happens has the potential to actually bring us closer. And really, that's what the, the nature of the material energy is for. Mm -hmm. The curriculum of our lives is to cause the chafing. Without yeah. the chafing, there's no reason to turn inward. Right. So the whole point of all of this, and, and it may seem infeasible or improbable, but in everything that's happening in every possible dimension, reality and piece of existence there is, even in what appears to be chaos, there's, there is a divine orchestration, even if we deny it, even if we don't see it. 
So if we align our lives with that flow of love, even if the flow appears to be bringing obstacles to us, um, well, actually, what is it? Just surrender. And rather than try to fight and go upstream or just surrender the flow and go with it, surrender, you know, back to source kind of thing. That and I want to, I have just a question about that because <clears throat> I think surrender, because I think it's such a, it can be a triggering word because it seems like it would be something that's passive and it, and it can be, but actually what you're talking about is an inner alchemization, which is actually quite active and has an active energy of showing up and being a participant. Absolutely. So just if you wanted to like shed light a little bit on that inner process, because so much we hear surrender, it's like, well, I already feel laid out and I already feel like I like don't have anything left. And right, like, right. what what else is there left to surrender? Yeah. Everything. <laughs> everything i mean that's like yoga teaches us that that is the one the only thing that is necessary to obtain the state of enlightenment to 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 know who you are beyond the body and mind is to uh, offer your life and life force back to the origin you know because the only thing that's uh in reality the only thing that's obscuring that divine connection is that sense of i through the movement of the mind so even that thought of offering my life and my back, you know, my life force, Ishwara Pranidhanadvas, Ishwara you could think of as in Yoga Sutra terminology as like your own personal Jesus, the 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 personage, the 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 personal way that the individual relates to divinity. And there's no definition. It doesn't say it has to be this, this, this. That's just the Sanskrit word Ishwara. Prana is life force. Dana is to give. Va or or yoga is obtained, liberation, enlightenment, spiritual enlightenment is obtained through offering your life force to God. Mm -hmm. But the deeper you go into surrender, the, the deeper that you see that even that 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 this is separate or mine to even offer is illusory as well, because what is not God's, mm -hmm. you know, and that's that's actually the essence of what Bhakti Yoga teaches that that renunciation is uh, the renunciation of this false idea of proprietorship, everything is God's and I'm an eternal steward. So let me alchemize my experience by seeing everything and everyone in relation to the origin. We're putting God in the center and serving from the center rather than putting self or the ego in the center and then trying to, you know, with every yeah. other being that's operating from the ego, continually knock heads and war, fear, terror, you know, all of these things that happen. And, um, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, surrender also, I feel, has a, a very real um, uh, complementary practice, which is meditation, mm -hmm. which allows you to see the depth of your actual surrender and uh, through choosing to sit in silence and stillness, right? Beloved Yeshua, be still and know because um, everything's moving. You know, yeah. the air is moving, the heart's moving, the mind is moving, this DNA yeah. is moving, the planets are moving, everything's moving, that's material. Yeah. But the one thing that's not moving is that pure spirit soul that it, it exists from the head to the heart. That's why Yeshua is always pointing to the heart that witnesses the whole thing, the divine screen of divine ecstatic awareness where the whole thing plays out, unconditioned, not subject to birth and death. You know, so ultimately through surrender with complementary practices of meditation, 
to sit in stillness and to offer your heart and soul to, to, or to source, if that's a better word for people, to God, to goddess, in your own heart, you know, ultimately, but inevitably through that sincerity. And then ultimately how we speak, think and act is our biggest vote, if you will, mm -hmm. to that degree of surrender. Because if we're really choosing to love God with our heart, mind and soul and surrender everything to God, then that love, Radhana Swami, one of my teachers says, when you water the root, the whole tree gets nourishment. Mm -hmm. And that's why the only teachings Yeshua, beloved Christ, gave us are to love God with your heart, mind and soul, love your neighbor as yourself. So if you truly love God with your heart, mind and soul, that love extends to every living being. It's not bound by species or dimension even. What to speak of race, sexuality and sex and all of these arbitrary prejudices and hierarchies that humanity has created, you know, um, that in the heart of every living being is this pure divinity. And so uh, love as the reality in its highest expression, when consciousness is un unencumbered from density, mm -hmm. fear, wound, insecurity, doubt, all of these different things, anger, judgment, jealousy, um, that pure luminous consciousness is absolute divine love. It is purely unconditional. It is all inclusive. And the more that our love re becomes this, then we our circle of that love begins to embrace every being or thing totally independent on their actions, even if they're doing things we don't like, because we start to see that, yes, even in the heart of that being is that pure divinity. Just like when I was fumbling through my darkness and ignorance and I was hurting people, right? I was still that then there too. And just as just because I'm choosing to evolve or evolve, try to evolve my consciousness or return to this state of light that we already are, like every other being's trying to do the same thing, you know? Yeah. So how we think, speak and act, how we relate to beings, you know, is the biggest is the biggest vote for the depth of our surrender. So, you know, it's definite. It seems passive, but it's not. It's most active, you know, and the same thing with that understanding that love is a divine reality. It's not necessarily fluffy and metaphoric or just no. romantic. No. It's divinely active. It's yeah. there. It's it actually like. It, constantly ask us to find our edge yeah yeah and to be willing to look at where that love is not mm -hmm. and how we can embrace it more and be it more you know sometimes mm -hmm. in my satsang on monday nights i say ultimately the only question we ever have to ask ourselves when anything anything happens or arises how can i love god more how can i love my neighbor more and how can i love myself more you know for me recently part of my journey and it directly relates to your question uh, through COVID, actually, I started experiencing, um, not started, I began experiencing uh, OCD symptoms again, which I thought were gone, you know, and they, and they got triggered and I went back into this program and it was very, very painful. And, um, you know, there's so much I could say about it, actually, but, you know, part of the process was, you know, sometimes it's easier to love a cow and choose not to eat it or you know love your mother or send love to someone far away or something like that and i was like well yeah self-love is evident i mean yeah duh right 
And then I had to learn what that actually was. And I'm still learning, you know, what that meant to me to, to become more humble, to, you know, to drop all the narratives of like, oh my God, you're a meditation teacher and you're talking about freedom and all of a sudden you're in a prison program in your own mind. Oh, you're a hypocrite. Oh my God. Now I was afraid of being afraid, which is what the OCD caused, because now if I'm afraid, all of this expansion that I was feeling, it's going to close, right? And all of these mm. narratives started again. But you know, I stopped eventually through suffering, fighting, going upstream and saying, wow, I need help. I actually need help again, like I did in recovery, right? I, I'm, I'm no matter, I can't meditate my way out of this, you know, as much as I've meditated for these last few years and feel like there was some progress, like I, I had to dial it back. What does that mean? I had to learn about inner child. I thought that was like, what? Like, I know. Oh, look at all these wounds. Look at this. Look at this. It's an unending journey, you know? Yeah. And just because you start the path doesn't mean like it's like, oh, what? even if you've had a spiritual awakening, even if you don't know what that is, even if you've never had one, like our journey isn't like necessarily linear, like, mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes it's boom, 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 plateau, yeah. you know, and it's like, it's like we talked about in the beginning. How do we come back to that center? How do we take yeah, I mean, care of ourselves you know yeah and i think too like for me the cut like bhakti yoga for me it's like such a heart centered yoga <clears throat> but a lot of people hear the teachings of bhakti yoga and they hear all about love and it's it's all these like nice warm words but that word has been so overused and the inner child has not been addressed and so it's like okay all those things sound great, but how do we get to that? Place? Right, right. How yeah, do we get I think to point even a to point B. Exactly, and even just um, you know, it's not even a word that really even defines what we're you know, like our our common understanding of it doesn't even define what we're actually talking about, really. You know, I remember reading this one, um this one essay by Dr. Martin Luther King, and he was talking about that, like, you know, coming to the word agape, mm. perhaps that's the closest. Um, the Sanskrit tradition, the Vedic tradition has a word. Um, the Vedic tradition, the Sanskrit language has a word, um, prema. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's this divine love. And, um, you know, if you've ever, you know, dove into some of the other books that, uh, that gives some of the, the teachings of Yeshua coming through people or visiting people, you know, our beloved Christ, you know, he, whether it's a course in miracles, which the only, which the first rule basically is only love is real, you know, or if it's love without end, one of my most powerful books I've ever read in my life, the, the essential teaching and the essential teaching of bhakti yoga, even in the yogic or Indian or Vedic tradition is that actually divine love is the divine reality it's the non-dual reality it's the nature of god the nature of source of origin is absolute the supreme being that being is even a thing what a miracle that is it didn't have to be but here we are being mm -hmm. you know but that the origin of all that is is absolute love that in our unconditioned state free of the false ego with our consciousness not constrained by the by the confines of the mind of the senses of the eye um, that consciousness in its pure, luminous, divine beingness is absolute divine love. 
and there's there's deeper teachings about the nature of love that is how some of the great saints perform miracles because love actually can alter material substances because it's actually transcendental in its pure state so what we're talking about is the absolute divine reality mm -hmm. um, we're not talking about a, a person we're not talking about a reciprocal relationship that's based on i love you if you sleep with me if you do the laundry if you meet my needs it's not a business transaction um we think that love is something that we create so then we assign it I love this person. I love this person. This person is deserving of my love. Then this person is deserving of my compassion. Then this person I, is, yeah, I don't want them to suffer. But the nature of love is all those obstacles, all of those limitations in true love that we're talking about. There is no, there is no obstacle. There is no limitation. There is, it's all consuming, all encompassing. No being is left from it, you know. And then, and then you begin to also see that that fear is a creative idea, is a created idea from the absence of love. All of these ideas of duality, right? Even heaven, hell. Um, that if there's a supreme being, you know, then there's a supremely opposite deviant being. Mm. Um, or if there is a supreme abode, then there's a supreme opposite eternal punishment abode. But you start to see that if God is absolutely love, that then there is no judge. That's a human created idea. Judgment is not a part of love. Well, that's yeah. Um, in like the Kundalini teachings, it talks about how the mind works in polarity. Right. You know, that there's the negative mind, the positive mind, and then the neutral mind. So this love would be in the neutral mind. So that's how we can kind of begin to like observe and know what's man made and what's not. Yeah. The, the, the second that through grace you may it may be revealed even for a flash or you start to see it, the power of it is because it's the reality. If it wasn't the reality, there'd be no truth to Christ's teachings, love God with your heart, mind and soul, love neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. Why? Because that's something nice to do, like love? No, because it's the reality. Mm -hmm. So if you're acting according to that love, which isn't subject to place, time, species, race, sex, sexuality, all these stupid human rules that we've created, yeah. you actually start to live in the divine frequency. Your consciousness is in the divine frequency. And so you begin to experience inwardly yeah. the expansion of your consciousness. Yeah. Because it's no longer confined by all the stories and the walls of I, me, mine. And that's why, you know, Dalai Lama and my teacher Sharon Gannon, they would say compassion is the root of, of enlightenment. Mm -hmm. Because enlightenment and... or compassion is like that the heart's love wisdom yeah. that allows you to entertain another's perspective mm -hmm. and say, I don't want them to suffer. Mm -hmm. And what that ultimately does is it breaks the ego's hyper focus. Mm -hmm. of i mean mind senses time space bound here bound so and what i believe is true and real exactly yeah we're not even we can't even entertain something else because it threatens our sense of identity mm -hmm. or what we were told of how it is we can't even question that you know mm -hmm. um ultimately compassion begins to because it, it not giving forgiveness and compassion it closes the door off to the heart but through compassion we're really choosing to take our awareness and say well let me assign it over there for a second and see how that being is thinking and feeling yeah. or even in and then it breaks down the rigid walls of the mind and ego mm -hmm. and through the heart our consciousness begins to expand i mean this is why yeshua beloved christ said the kingdom is within mm 
-hmm. So through this process of yoga, through this process of devotional love in service, because ultimately the love we're talking about is through serving the beloved and serving yeah. in the world. Ultimately, through the grace of God, through this love and through this surrender, all of the density and all of the superimpositions of everything we've ever placed over that truth of who we are here now begin to be lifted. And you can't do it. You can't force that because force doesn't work in more subtle dimensions. Yeah. Force is actually coming from the miscreated eye. Yeah. Right? So through this process of devotion, surrender, bhakti yoga, the beloved begins to remove all the obstructions and that is the nature of bhakti. It's actually based on relationship, that every being has a unique, eternal, unbroken divine relationship with source that's deeply personal and intimate and individually unique for all. And bhakti yoga is about cultivating that relationship. And it is said that in relationship, there is exchange. And there's reciprocation. And through that exchange and reciprocation, there's advancement. You know, in the text, the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, I'm, I love all beings. Holy source loves all beings, impartial in that love. However, the one who chooses to engage in love with the Supreme Being, then the Supreme Being, for every step you take, the Supreme Being runs 10 towards you. And that's the process that through this loving exchange, through this loving surrender, through this loving service, through this devotional service, through this choosing to remember God and see everything in relation to God rather than the ego. Like just for instance, like things that have helped change my life, like and I see a rose. It's not like, you know, I pick the rose and smell it and like the process. It's a, it's an actual process. It's the alchemization of our consciousness being like, wow. Look at this beautiful flower, this flower. I'm not even going to pick it because it has its own being and purpose, its own I am papers to be here, regardless mm -hmm. of what I think it is and how I choose to utilize it. Right. That's a human idea, which, right. you know, capitalism, commoditization, mm -hmm. you know, everything is in relation to how we assign value, mm -hmm. how we assign. OK, so now this is the the capital uh, capitalism. Capita means skull, heads of cattle. Right. Now I assign them this value and then everything is in relation to our imagined being the, the summum, the summum bonum of evolution, no, or there's no evolution at all, you know, so everything that doesn't look, think or act like us, including people, different skin color, sex, sexuality, what to speak of animals, then we can use our force or our position of superiority of superior consciousness, you know, like of consciousness manipulation or political power to manipulate anything that doesn't think, look, or act like me, or capitalize at any cost, right? Which unfortunately is a very broken system that will lead humanity to the brink of its own extinction mm -hmm. um, or endangerment, you know, but- um, Which is what we're watching. <laughs> which is what exactly what we're watching because the presence of love is returning and it's showing where it's not. Mm -hmm. And if we're not willing to look at those stories of systems that we're holding on to, forget anything out there. The root of it all, the root of Babylon system mm -hmm. is the false ego. So the deeper you go into your own heart, the finger wagging stops because you see that everything that's been created in separation of soul and God, everything that's been created in absence of love is simply a condition of the disconnect of God and soul and love within our own hearts. 
And yeah. so it's no longer about judgment. It's about let me transform. Let me not waste time in conspiracy. Let me not waste time in wagging fingers. Let me actually become love itself. Let me be this love light that we all are. That's what the path of yoga 10,000 years old, more old, it's ancient. There's no time limit. Has okay. been forever to return to this state, which is actually our endogenous state. Right. And so it's such a, you can't do yoga because it's who we are. This love, this light, this divinity is who we are. It's just covered over. So through these practices, we begin to consciously choose to lift the veil on these stories almost to empty out so God's grace can fill us, you know, and, and that's the definition of yoga. When the mind becomes empty or still, right, be still and know. Because everything's moving, all mm -hmm. the stories, all every cell, every tissue, the mind, the wind, the organs, the kidneys, the sun, the the, the the earth, everything's moving. That's the material energy, but something's not, and that's that's the indwelling spirit soul and that unshakable awareness that isn't subject to birth, death, coming, going, pleasure, pain, honor, dishonor. The, what we think of as the pairs of opposites. Mm -hmm. There is a non-dual reality that exists in us that is love. Yeah. And we can act in, in unity and peace can be birthed, but they don't exist in the material matrix. That's why Christ said, I didn't come to bring peace to the earth. You can't bring peace about that which is always moving. So I bring, came to bring peace to the hearts of man. Mm. So through the process, this alchemization of our consciousness, we understand that absolute peace through the stillness of the mind, Nerodaha, that peace ecstasy bliss sat chit ananda truth consciousness existence bliss eternal is actually who and what we are mm -hmm. so unity and peace are possible but it's only possible if you come into that consciousness mm -hmm. and you can call it crystalline consciousness crystal clear you can call it krishna consciousness you can call it christ consciousness you can call it yoga but it's basically the return to the natural love that we are the outward expression of which is unity mm -hmm. which breaks all barriers all illusion all delusion so how could that be passive how could this be passive <laughs> we're consciously engaging in lifting the veils on the delusion of the false ego and everything we ever bought into is true so that we can return to that state why for the benefit of beings so all beings may be free of suffering i mean that's the motivation anyway I mean, it all loops back around like our sufferings give us the ability, the platform to even aspire to help one other being who may be suffering from the same thing. Yeah. You know, so as we heal, as we transform, as we choose this path, we've already been given a platform from which we can share and love and serve. And it's not about a billion people. If you can do it in this one person in your neighborhood or one person in a class or one person in a 12 step fellowship or the way that you treat your spouse or the way or that you walk act down the street just being yeah just being Existence in that frequency yeah. changes everything you actually don't have to do yeah. because you've returned to the state of being it's no longer conditioned upon I will do to create an identity and then fight for that identity and then but then what no matter what it's going to go when the body goes right and that's just the how humility it's like you know it's to me it's like 
that's and we have a common teacher here is Ram Das, and like he was such a beautiful example of teaching this it's like our whole life is set up to continue to bring us back to this like place of humility of like looking at like what he calls like we're not fully cooked <laughs> right right <laughs> this path that you're talking about you know yeah. of returning back you know to something you thought you had already gone through and healed and it showed itself Here it is yeah yeah maybe even but, stronger than before yeah but it's but it's or just the relationships we keep or just the conversations we have or riding right like going down the road it's like these are constantly asking us to look at you know are we holding that space of being right. And like showing up to our practice, you know, helps keep that connection because otherwise it's, it's got its own momentum or else we'll get lost in our own inner worlds of triggers or inner child or unhealed, whatever. And so like returning to that practice or to sit or like find that stillness is what helps that momentum, like stay in motion to help that. And I, I think that is an incredibly important point that conscious spiritual practice or sadhana is absolutely mm-hmm. critical because mm-hmm. the nature of material energy is such that as soon as you engage in it it just it can just sweep you up you know so mm-hmm. and it's the same can be said for healing the same thing can be said for any aspect of our journey for the practice part and for healing you know mm-hmm. patience mm-hmm. perseverance and persistence like this the is healing. that lion energy that you like i think embodies so well it's like that perseverance and the courage to like keep going despite like what comes up on the path which is yeah. like so powerful and like you know the conquering line will break every chain it's like there's so many obstacles on the path yeah. or perceived well actually obstacles. it's interesting you bring that up because what is the lion mm. love yeah. the conquering lion is it's yeshua but it's yeah. divine love you know, and that's the, the because love is the non-dual reality, that's the paradox of the lion and the lamb. Love roars like a lion and breaks all chains. But it's also peaceful, the most peaceful, blissful companion you could ever have. Mm-hmm. It's another way to show that what we're meaning by this love reality, it's not a passive thing. You know, yeah. the lion roars, mm-hmm. you know. It doesn't mean you go out and roar at other people. It doesn't mean <laughs> that at all. Inter- it's an inner roar that's it is. like breaking it's the your presence of that boundary. love breaks all bondage. It yeah. breaks all right. It's conquered. Has opened the scroll and loosened the seals. Yes. What does that mean? It means that back when Yeshua walked the earth, he set a patterning for us to open open the seven scrolls, the seven chakras, and loosen this and open the scroll. The scroll is a central energy channel. In yoga, we call it Shashumna Nadi. Mm-hmm. The seven seals are the chakras, mm-hmm. which is our psycho-spiritual centers of the evolution of the, a spiritual ascension of our consciousness back to the kingdom in life. Mm-hmm. Why he said the kingdom is within. Nobody ever talks about that. Yeah. People talk literally about the things he said in parable or metaphor. But the thing that's most important to understand that Christ taught that the kingdom is within is the essence of yoga in every mystical bhakti tradition, that it exists in us and it's here now. It's not at a later death. It's because then if we assign that supreme happiness to a, to a, a death or to a patriarchy who intercedes maybe on our behalf 
or to maybe a heaven or hell depending on some arbitrary judgment based upon a measly 70 years maybe i'll go to heaven forever maybe hell like these are human created ideas the kingdom is within means incumbent upon our consciousness bhakti yoga teaches christ's actual teachings are that we can be in blessed divine union with god our consciousness can ascend to the highest spiritual platform because it's no longer encumbered by the false ego the mind fear wound insecurity doubt judgment lack of compassion anger all of these things then that expansion of our consciousness happens inward through the heart that's the power of love love alone has the power to balance out the seven seals which are you know it's like insecurity how we connect to the earth beings god even family where we make our money hypersexuality creativity the ego and how we present into the world you know closing off the heart with judgment fear wound all of these things insincerity sarcasm you know speaking ill of teachers and things like this and then ultimately like the crown the blossoming of our consciousness when we achieve that spiritual ascension so love alone divine love can actually open those seals that have been placed upon the spiritual ascension of our consciousness well it's so wild you're just like saying all this and i'm just thinking i'm like you know because like if we're just focusing on that alone like that is enough to take up like all of our energy of the day (laughs) how do we how do like how do we it's like i know this isn't realistic but it's like you know the average householder like the person that is like getting up and going to work it's like that takes what you just described is create it's like takes so much energy to just like look at that and to be reflective and like see where all these things are coming up and like you know it's just and the, it's just incredible that we're humans are just like what an experience it's yeah. so complex yeah. actually the ego is complex yes and the mind is complex mm-hmm. love is simple right mm-hmm. beatitudes love is simple love is kind love keeps no record of wrongs and i just yeah. it's reality yeah. right so without but without the meditative mind through the actual sitting and dedication to our spiritual practice, prayer, meditation, maybe yoga, asanas, if you do that, satsang, keep company with saints. We need it mm-hmm. because we're, we're, our mind goes to the company we keep, you know, like we're not aware of this throughout the day. But if we sit in meditation and cultivate through stillness, the ability to witness, the ability to watch unaffected, if we have an aspiration we're striving for and we know what that center is, then we can begin to see when we strayed from it so we can come back. We can see as we go about every task and aspect of our life that meditation isn't just something that happens on the mat and the goal isn't to be a meditator. The goal is is to be free so that the more we cultivate through practice this meditative mind, this witness consciousness, we actually can, it's never breaking. We see it when we wake up, we see that there's something moving through my mind. I didn't play, I placed it there through allowing it to be impressed upon my consciousness, whether through a desire, whether through a media outlet, whether through anything, right? And it comes up, but I see like the mind is like iPod on shuffle. I wake up in the morning and a song is going through my head that I consciously didn't think, but through meditation, I can see it and be like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. You know? And so, so then what? part of the bhakti practice is then to always try to keep in mind that which is more sublime that which you're actually after 
smart enough, divine remembrance. So if, if, if the thing that you want more than anything is to be in union, in divine union, or be in remembrance of God, or be free of the suffering and be in service and love, then what are we trying to do? Which is the evolution of our consciousness, not in a doctrinal, dogmatic, fear-based system, but to allow our awareness to rest on the beloved always. This is bhakti yoga. Mm -hmm. To think of God always, to think of it in how we serve, to see God in other beings and how we interact, to treat being as such, right? But it's then also the, something biological that's happening. Like when you sit down to meditate, like what's happening, that unlocking of the seven scrolls, it's a hormonal biological shift that's happening that we also don't talk about that allows us to have that experience right. of reflecting of the divine. Yeah. In the or whole to even have the space. Thing. Yeah is the integration of our spiritual being with this physical body. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think the beauty of yoga is that in the beauty of what's happening on the earth in this age of awakening is we're seeing that self-realization actually is an evolutionary experience, meaning that the experience of enlightenment, any being who's ever obtained enlightenment, any being who's ever came to teach us about love, enlightenment, Buddha, Christ, Krishna, whether you think they're an actual manifestation of God, an avatar, we would call them, or if you think they're a prophet, whatever, however you view them, they didn't come to show us and tell us what we're not, but to remind us of who we are, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like the miraculous thing is that actually in our DNA, in our beingness is the programming waiting to be activated that allows for the expansion of our consciousness and the ability to hold the way that i i liken it to is is like a computer dialogue so yeah it's like an upgrade of you have to upgrade the operating system mm -hmm. because when you came into this realm with your karmas with your desires or if you don't believe that at all when you came in here and like you forgot who you were as a spirit soul this temporary spiritual amnesia you forgot god the source you know the earth has been operating at a particular bandwidth that that gives a prevailing experience of density of consciousness now breaking outside the confines of that have not been impossible or enlightenment wouldn't have been possible mm -hmm. for anyone ever. Mm -hmm. St. Francis, right? Pure Christ consciousness through love, right? He, he didn't go in the woods and, and kill beings. He saw the bird as Christ would see the bird. It's not complicated. We're just not willing mm -hmm. to do it. Mm -hmm. Am I willing to give the same love that I give to my neighbor to the dog, to the cow, to the cat, to the being that is an opponent, to the being doing the thing I don't like to do. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean we allow them to step all over us. It doesn't mean we continually allow ourselves to be subjective to other people's ridiculous or nonsensical behavior. And but sometimes you don't close means, your heart either. Exactly, that we have to stand in love and that's great activism, mm -hmm. disallow as the reality, you know? But through this love, and through grace, through these practices, this endogenous operating system that allowed for the prevailing experience can begin to upgrade. The operating system can actually upgrade. Mm -hmm. The software programs can be swapped out. Mm -hmm. The bandwidth of consciousness can begin to change in the amount of light, consciousness, frequency, bliss that can be held by this body begin to expand. Generally, it's often very gradual because the truth of who every one of us is, everyone, anywhere there's life, this divine presence, it's a little particle of God 
is who we are as spirit soul is so bright it, it's it's the, it's a piece of god's light it's not created light we are a part and parcel of divinity so you can imagine the multi-dimensional divine vastness that we are when we've been used to being john such and such so and so hyper focused through the senses through time space here now that the process of the dissolution of that density of i and the mind can be quite disorienting even a little bit startling and a little bit like, whoa, like this feeling of losing the mind is in a, in a positive way is this feeling of the mind finally being our master and letting love finally letting the heart be the master and the mind become alchemized through the heart. And then all of a sudden, you know, this, this central channel, this seal, this, this scroll conducts the divine potentiality of enlightenment grace descends ascends our systems upgrade to hold more consciousness more bliss more light so that we can then return to our original spiritual state in life and that's the whole point of life and so the evolution of humanity is actually spiritual enlightenment which will bring about the unification of the whole planet not just the earth tribe you can't have unity on a planet if it's just one group right <laughs> it has to extend to the animal nations to the elemental nations the mineral nations the plant nations the human nations the insect nations the fish nations the bird nations how is that love expressed it has to be non-harming non-harming is the, the prophecy of the time that we're in right now too. absolutely the new what does new earth actually mean it's the name of your podcast right Yes. New Earth, right? In Revelation, I, I, well, I won't say what no. I, I will say what I picture. Yeah. It says, see the lion on the throne in Zion, and behind him is holy source, and he says, I will make everything new. And I, I, in my mind, I picture Christ and Krishna, mm. and I just hear Krishna saying, I will make everything new. And what does that mean? It means that everything old that has been created without the presence of love, even dogmatic and doctrinal religions based on fear, wound, and judgment will be gone. We will live in pure spiritual liberation, nationalism, speciesism, capitalism, fanaticism. It's all dissolving. Racism, sexism. All the diseases that keep us in the illusion of density and separation from each other are being called to be seen right now. And if you can see that, if that, if this is what you're choosing to say is this is how it is, this is my reality, you will fight for it and you will hang on to it and you will even thrust it forward with force and violence mm -hmm. in the threatening face of it falling. And that's actually what love does. Love is the sword. Love is the conquering lion. Love breaks all delusion and bondage, but that even what appears to be collapse and calamity in the return of divine love is actually absolute divine grace so that we all have the opportunity to remember who we are. We don't have to wait for more calamities. We don't have to wait for more pandemics. We don't have to wait for more wars. We don't have to wait for food system collapses, banking collapses. We don't have to the national collapses, identity collapses. Yeah. We don't have to wait. Yeah. The truth is we don't, it, nothing is written. Like there's nothing that's written in stone that love can't overturn. All timelines are open. <laughs> Anything is possible. Yeah. So through love, through the love of our hearts, not even being like, I'm, I'm changing, by changing ourselves, 
we are literally changing the frequency and the bandwidth upon this earth, right? Can you imagine if one of the, the, the reverberation of Christ, of Buddha, of Krishna, of the great ones walking on this earth, it's still reverberating. Mm -hmm. What happens if one person, if five people, if 10 people, if 100 people, if a thousand people, if 144,000 people, yeah. Revelation, start vibrating at the pure Christ love frequency, pure Christ consciousness. And it's not it's not heresy. It's actually the most natural intelligence. Well, that's why I wanted to have this conversation. It's like the it's like it all is so complex that it becomes simple. It's there's it's nothing just, complicated about it. Well, I guess it's the way that it, it appears and for right. like before we have that grace that allows yeah. that under that understanding then it can seem so like unreachable and un understandable like let those right. who have yeah. ears to hear and eyes to see so that moment happens you know but and just just to like for a reminder that it is so simple and like it's so simple it's not complicated this is not a complicated path because yeah. it's who we are yeah the complication is our indoctrination into this story of how it is mm -hmm. but with that said it's also the fault that the false ego is the root mm -hmm. i am this and that and such and such it mm -hmm. all goes with the body mm -hmm. right so once we externalize our salvation once we externalize heaven once we externalize a later potential supreme happiness if that then what does this life become it becomes a struggle to create identity, purpose, meaning, right? The person who has all the nuclear weapons, the person who has all of the, you know, corrupt corporations, they're actually looking for the same happiness that you and I are looking for. Mm -hmm. How can I be happy? How can I have some stillness and st stability in everything that's changing? If, if I have to wait for a later happiness, what is this life all about then? And so we've created all these stories through that forgetfulness and then we search for meaning purpose happiness what in objects people places things in a later now but god only exists in the holy now so we created a sandbag to the receipt of the only place and time god lives which is here now through stories through yeah. stories and not only that but like all of all of these all of these systems keep us including the false ego thinking that something is going to bring me a later happiness mm -hmm. in whatever it is we touch in this realm this is the nature of what yoga calls prakriti the material energy some call it maya which means not this which means illusion which simply means forgetting that we're the soul forgetting god forgetting the nature of love whatever we touch is impermanent mm -hmm. whatever we collect is impermanent Whatever we string together through all of our identities, whatever we do through doership on this earth is impermanent. When we leave here, it's all gone. Mm -hmm. And this circles right back around to where we started. The greater sobering up of my life is coming to terms through the deaths of my father through Alzheimer's at a young age or the passing out of the body, you know, the, the, my grandparents and people I love and watching this process and coming to terms and choosing to, to look at it myself is that no matter what it is we 
engage in, it's all passing here. Mm-hmm. So why not choose this lifetime to turn our aware, everything that moves out through the senses, through desire, through seeking, through later possession, happiness, the attainment or attainment of something, that awareness and energy that's moving out through the senses and that desire and that action, in that seeking, in that stimulation, in those hopes and aspirations. What if I even invested five minutes a day in stillness, through prayer, in surrender, in the sanctity of the heart, instilling the body, and draw that awareness that's going out in and into the heart, from the head to the heart, and stay there. Which will attract and, all the things we're seeking anyways. <laughs> right, right. And then we start to see that though everything is passing and impermanent by definition the material energy means ever changing Mm -hmm. in the in in creation sustenance and dissolution in some state of flux of some combination thereof of all those things but there's one thing that's not and that is the soul Mm -hmm. that is god and that is love and it is who and what we are and we are that here now and to come in contact to that reveals that the ecstasy, the pleasure, the bliss, the peace, the fulfillment of every desire that we've ever had externally in sex, in an object, in anything actually exists within us in that supreme relationship with God and in the unveiling of who we are beyond the body and mind. So everything we've ever sought in lifetimes actually exists in us. And that's the whole point of life. We had a temporary moment where we imagined ourselves to be separate from God. We created this into reality, but we're divine co-creators also. We're also here to learn that. Mm -hmm. Part of this life is to understand that as all as divine, eternal children of the one, pure, divinely, qualitatively equal brothers and sisters, whatever, wherever there's a soul, wherever there's divinity is that, is that we have been given the ability to make this a heaven or a hell. Mm-hmm. And through this alchemization, this goal, turning this pain, suffering, wound, fear, insecurity, doubt, through this process of bhakti, meditation, yoga, devotion, surrender, prayer, asana, pranayam, reading the sacred text, sacred company, ultimately and inevitably, all of that lead and ore and dense, dark metal transforms into the gold of the soul. Yeah. And what we see is that with everything that is changing what's not changing is love so anything that i create here with love any of that love that i share or create with or command with actually is the term christ would use is yours eternally so the only thing you never lose is love everything else here goes so that love you experience selflessly with a parent or a child or a teacher or with a being with a cow with an animal that love spirals out of time eternally and that love is yours. That's our wealth. That's our riches. That's what can't be cut, corrupted, anything like that. Everything else is fleeting. Well, it just know? satiates that inner needing to seek external experiences. Like while those that comes with time, like if we can integrate those, you know, it's like, yeah. but that satiating allows so much like seeking of that happiness outside of ourselves and people or places or things or experiences um which you know ultimately that's all that i think we're seeking to change our reality which leads to non-sobriety 
But if we could do that using our own inner internal states of being no. all that's being satiated. Right, right. So and you don't what, need to seek it outside anymore. Exactly. And I didn't know that. I mean, yeah. and actually, that's what the definition of Maya is. Hmm. Thinking it exists out there. Yeah. And that's, imagine that. Every, we think it exists out there, but it doesn't. And so we continue to engage in such a way. That, to seek relief. <laughs> yeah, right. From this material condition is fire. We yeah. suffer like this is yeah. no joke. Like this suffering is like the suffering is real. It yeah. doesn't have an eternal permanent experience existence, but the suffering we experience here is real. And mm -hmm. we are all suffering so deeply mm -hmm. in the root of the suffering. Yoga, Bhakti Yoga teaches, Christ teaches is that we've forgotten God mm -hmm. in life. We've forgotten that connection with God and who we are as that spirit soul. And this is what Yoga Sutra teaches that one, I, the sutra I said before, suffering has a, a conclusion. Yeah. When through this process, the mind, which is a material instrument, returns back to that material matrix. And in that, at least in that flash, if not permanently living in it as a, as a, a Jivan Mukta, a free one, as a, a purely liberated soul in life, in that moment, the mind comes to rest and stillness. You are not under the sway of the material elements and you know who you are as a pure spirit soul. And when you know who you are, then you know you're not the body and mind and you can identify with it less so that the suffering can be less. And then ultimately, when you're, if, if, if and when we become free ones, who knows, maybe this life, maybe not, then we can be actually Jivan Mukta, which means the jiva, the indwelling spirit soul, becomes mukti or liberated from the delusion of the false ego and the body-mind and returns to pure, absolute, ascended spiritual consciousness while in the body, in it, not of it, you know? And, um, and until then, these conversations are really important so <laughs> because important. we because just Because it's got to gotta propel us on. We yeah. have to normalize the reality and speak of it in simplicity, ease and grace, in non-judgment, right? Mm -hmm. Because what I've seen even with like sometimes, you know, I was I've gotten fiery with animal rights activism or veganism, like mm -hmm. nothing shuts off a conversation more to the false ego mm -hmm. than thinking you're being told you're doing something wrong or you're not doing something right or, you know, something like that, which is how we all relate, which mm -hmm. is what most religions, if you don't believe what I do, if you don't believe what I believe, if you don't believe in my God, if you don't believe in what we think the scriptures are actually trying to teach us, then you know you're this you're a heathen you're you need to be saved you're and you know then we've created more delusional hierarchies you know but in reality it's like i don't know i just lost my train of thought Anna. It just, <laughs> <laughs> well i just think that we were talking about you know it's like just so important to have these conversations to yeah, keep just make it back. simple easy and, and like we have to support each other yeah. We have to talk about this. And, you know, there's a time and place to talk about it. And there's a crowd and, a, you know, some sometimes it's not the right crowd. Part of this, what we're talking mm -hmm. about is like there's a skillful okay. means that comes mm -hmm. up, too. Yeah. And, and it's not preaching and it's not you're right, you're wrong. It's like, well, it's like AA or NA. It's like your experience, strength and hope. Hey, this is where I went. This is what happened. And personal experience. Right. You may think I'm you may think I'm talking heresy. You may think I'm talking lunacy. But hang out with me, listen to me, or, and let me listen to you, and let me share. Let me. Let's well, I always be... like to say it's like the same, you know. If Christ came back today, he would be hung on the cross again. Oh my gosh! Yeah. 
And so I like to think of it that way. It's like, you know, but he was just sharing his personal experience. He wasn't here yeah. to preach. And that's why, you know, people, you know, the truth of love. Him. Yeah. And actually that's why he was crucified because love exposes all of the all of the religious, political, governmental, national systems were threatened by the presence of divine love on earth because they can't stand in the face of that love, which is the truth. Mm -hmm. Miscreation and fear cannot stand in the presence of love, which is what all of our present systems are, not all, but a lot of them are based on. So more than anything, he was a threat to the status quo. Yeah. He was a threat to the story of how it is. Yeah. Right? And that's, I mean. Okay, I have to ask you this while we're talking about it. It's like so much of the prophecy is the return to Christ to earth. And, you know, for me, I believe that's already happened, like the consciousness that will come and like save. So like in your words, like what is your idea of the prophecy of Christ's return to you earth? Know, like Neem Karoli Baba says, Christ is the Atma in the heart of every living being. You know, just as, as in the Gita, Krishna says, I am the Atma in the heart of every living being. Just as some great saints, even Maharaji says, Ram is the Atma in every living being. Mm. Christ the true and living Christ, the cosmic Christ, right? Which is like a, think of it as a cosmic platform, as this Christ, as this absolute divine, like Shiva or like, you know, Christ as this divine expansion of the supreme absolute reality that's like the shepherd. Mm. That is pure, absolute, omnipresent love that knows the heart and mind of every being and all that is, and that sometimes manifests upon planets or manifested upon this earth planet, the, the cosmic Christ, as mm -hmm. Yeshua ben Joseph, mm -hmm. to show the return of love and actually teach this path of love that we've been talking about tonight. In Love Without End, he's clear. He's like, no, I'm not coming back. Not in a time frame that you can understand. Because yeah. our mind doesn't work in the vastness of millions and billions of years and linear right. cycles. But it's clear that the return of the Christ is the return of the Christ consciousness, which is merely love. Mm. Pure, absolute, unadulterated, divine love that we are. Which is Every one of us. It's not just 144. It's not selective salvation. Right. It's like, or though, you know, like all of this imagery, you know, like it's the return of love in the hearts of, of beings, the return of peace and unity. It's not complicated. It's the return to who and what we are. Mm. And any being has the possibility to bring this forth. Any being. It's not just this group. It's not just that group. And it's not heresy. It's not. It's so hard once our consciousness as a, as someone who grew up Catholic, very devout Catholic and left the church because I was sexually harassed by my priest, not touched verbally and saw the, the perverse systematic allowing, hiding, covering of the patriarchal intercession with your relationship with God, which is a human created thing. Actually, in Love Without End, Yeshua says that is the root of Babylon, mm -hmm. right? What is, we're talking about Revelation. What does it say before the conquering lion has roared? Babylon the Great has fallen. Mm -hmm. And in Love Without End, he's very clear that the Tower of Babel in historic Babylon 
actually represented the patriarchal or man's wrangling away of the spiritual ascension of our consciousness by assigning it to the priestly class, right? Hmm. So you can see how everything that's happened from that point forward, when we don't know that the point of our lives is the spiritual ascension through the tower, the scroll, the spiritual ascension of our consciousness back to Godhead, back to the heaven of eternal bliss, divine union with God in life. And we think that a priest has to give it to us or that God or salvation or heaven are externalized. That is Babylon. And anything that has ever come from that. So what is the new earth? Is the fall of Babylon, which means that individually one at a time, we begin to experience the kingdom of heaven within us. There's no other way it can happen. And then we lift earth to heaven and bring heaven to earth, which is thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is God's will that earth be no different than heaven. Nobody speaks about it, talks about it. Nobody talks about the kingdom is within. Yeah. This is the return of the Christ consciousness. It's in us. You never see Christ pointing out there. He's yeah. always pointing here. Why? Because our everything is here. Yeah. It's not in death. It's not through a patriarchy. It's not later. It's here now. But the only thing is, we have to go from here to here. Yeah. So we can surrender. But if we don't change our lives, if we don't observe our own tendencies, if we don't aspire to transform and change and evolve, that surrender is nice. <laughs> but we don't make the space within ourselves to receive the grace that lifts the veils that we can't do by force. Because yeah. God's grace, Goddess's grace, Divine Mother, Blessed Mother's grace is everywhere. Everything, everyone is affected by it. <laughs> but like some of the great, great saints said, the practices are to put the mast up in the sail. <laughs> because without that, we don't, we're not affected by it. Yeah. So we have to see our mind. We have to see our desires. We have to see our inclinations to go along with our deep prayer and meditation, to surrender, to practice silence and stillness. Go into a closet and pray, beloved Christ said. What does that mean? Go into a place that's quiet, that's away from everything else. Mm -hmm. Become quiet and enter into your heart. And that's the other, the dual meaning of closet is go into your own sacred heart, which yeah. itself is the greatest prayer, right? Even if it's for five minutes a day, five minutes a day, will shift your entire year. <laughs> Just start small, start yeah. small, but do it. I mean, you know, if, if anything that I've said resonated, join us on Monday nights. You know, we sit yeah. for a half hour, you know, like reach out you know like this isn't it's not exclusive well, that's what, yeah that's what i could talk to you and listen to you forever but no. i don't want to <laughs> keep you all night either i'm in it now like i'm like <laughs> let's, go. let's go and i mean also this is what happens this is like you become excited about this and this mm -hmm. is like you know this is what you live for then then what ends up happening is all of this density starts to clear out a little bit why you're here becomes more clear, mm -hmm. you know, that com the commitment to like your own transformation, to trying to just be less selfish, to try to alleviate the suffering of beings or to just be of some service, you know, like doesn't have to be grand or lofty. It's not global. It's like, and how does it reflect? It reflects in every aspect of our life, in our relationships, how we show up, you know it's to self at first i think like what's so yeah. even like it's like because it, suffering is so intense right now even yeah. if 
like serving other people seems crazy right now, even if it's in your home, like your husband or your children, like if that seems too far-fetched, like serve yourself for the relief of your own exactly. suffering first. Right. You can, if, if we don't have it within us, we can't give it. If yeah. we don't have that love within us from our own healing and transformation, we don't have it to give, mm -hmm. right? If we're still suffering, if we're in, and we're all, if we're not in the enlightened state, we're all in various yeah. stages of, of suffering, of confusion, of delusion, of struggle, of wonder, of, sure. and that's the power of faith too. I mean, without faith, and part of our evolution is that faith, mm -hmm. a pure faith in God, not in God, the idea, but in God, the absolute so reality, the path to continue the walk and the where do we, where, any, where is anything without faith? Yeah. You know, so that faith, that devotion, that love, that surrender, the commitment to our own healing, the commitment to our own practice, mm -hmm. you know, and it's not selfish. Mm -hmm. This transformation, you know, it's the best way we can serve the world. Yeah. You know? It's a civil duty right? at this point in honor. Right. Yeah. You know, and then a lot of the things you thought that bought you pleasure or that you, mm -hmm. we were, I was investing my energy and awareness in, they, they start to change. Things start mm -hmm. to change, even the people. And, you know, it's part of that, it's part of that dance. And, you know, just an even deeper faith in that surrender and in hopes that whatever ha is happening at any minute is for me, is mm -hmm. for my evolution, is for, it's not an accident, you know. It's that reflection like upon the path that allowed that trust muscle to build because it's like those are all words until we have an inner experience right that it, happening exactly you know? so it's like there has to be that experience of reflection and of active effort to say okay i'm suffering and i'm going to change something and then being able to look back and say this was all grace right until that moment happens you can't you know yeah. Or like, you know, sometimes you might hear people in recovery say, I'm so grateful for everything that happened. Meaning, you know, the arrests, the car <laughs> crashes, the crash and burn relationships, the, so the ODs, you know, and all of that. But, but what does that really mean? It means that through the patience, perseverance, faith, surrender, which is exactly what the 12 step programs are. And through the process of clearing out to create the space, which are what steps four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, so that we can really engage in prayer and meditation to establish what? conscious contact with God, this is non-different than yoga, right? Then all of a sudden there's this greater awakening to this mm -hmm. presence and divinity and operation of the flow Divine of life reality. that allows you, that brings you so deeply into the present and into a state of gratitude, meaning there's not a feeling that something's missing, that you can actually reflect back on everything that happened and be grateful it happened because it brought you to that moment where you are now Mm -hmm. But you can't say it or really even comprehend it until you get to that moment. Yeah. You know? And it's so funny. I just like I'm thinking about it's like and and life is like so perfectly orchestrated to make sure that happens. It's like absolutely our childhood, you know, all through like our self-initiation into adulthood, Saturn return, and then, you know, not to mention what the astrology is doing on the daily and all the right, right. cosmos, just to make sure that like we do surrender and if we don't then we're gonna have a really hard time until we reach that moment where we can yeah you i know, mean it doesn't it's always going to be hard but you know that right that fluctuation is not it's easier to come back to that divine yeah. reality and remembering and you know sometimes i say like 
in those rare moments when I feel that longing for God, you know, and like there's like tears of like in Bhakti Yoga, they call it Vipralamba, meaning longing in separation, which is in our forgetful state, the condition of, of the conditioned soul. We've forgotten that we're eternally connected to the origin and to the soul, you know, and like that crying and that longing which has been a rarity in my life but a few times it happens it's like this is actually it this is the that's the emotion that I, I i like and i'm like if i'm not crying i should be crying because i'm not crying mm. that type of like devotional longing and i don't I think mean that's so powerful just like krishna it's like this people don't talk about it's like this is not something you know talked about a lot is like krishna in like his different forms and like if you're needing that crying to like imagine yourself as like a child or like krishna right. is like a right and you know just to briefly touch on that the beauty of bhakti is that it says we all have an eternal personal relationship you know that's why christ identified with as father mm. source right he says in love without end when i said that i was not being patriarchal patriarchal nor was I referring to a relationship that is not endogenous to your own being, mm -hmm. meaning that each of us has that type of relationship. Mm -hmm. Now, Bhakti Yoga in the Vedic tradition says it can actually be friend friend, mm -hmm. which was the relationship of Arjuna and Krishna in right. the Bhagavad Gita and why this is the essence of that longing, that devotion, that inner relation. Everything can fuel that inner longing, that inner crying, that inner dialogue. Bhakti says, even if something happens in your anger, let that anger turn into golden alchemy by remembering God. You know, well, use anything, use yeah. all your emotion for God, yeah. everything, you know. But and even, you know, the gopis of Krishna can be love and intimacy. Mm -hmm. It can be like Krishna's parents to Krishna. It can be parent to child. It can be child to parent, it can be friend to friend, it can be servant to master, and it can be lover to lover. Which I mean, I live near um, the uh, Takari Tekawitha shrine, who was a Native American saint and lover of Christ. And in my humble belief, she, my belief is that she viewed, she viewed Christ as, as her most intimate lover. Mm. You know, so bhakti is whatever way in your heart, yeah, you personally that. relate to God, cultivate that, run with it, cherish it, the, don't stop the dialogue. Because in reality, God manifests or God is manifest to us as our inclination. And that's the greatness of God. There's not just one name or form. That's a human related idea. There's the formless aspect of it, but there's also the form, which isn't which we inferior. Need humans. Like we, Absolutely. We need and even in Bhakti, they say that's actually supreme. It's higher than the formless because the ecstasy of devotion is only comes to its climax or zenith in personal relation. Because mm -hmm. the, the, the part which is like for me, like when we were in India, it's like what really had to like had to break down the walls around like statues and forms was right. that understanding of like, oh, because I'm a human and I need something to physically look right. at and connect to or else like it, it's too, it's too formless. Exactly. And so yeah. here's this thing, because if God is formless, then God can come into the form of anything. And that's that's the that's the principle behind the deities in the temples. Right. It's, it, it gets hard for people to want to entertain or understand when your tradition says it has it's a misunderstanding worship. of what idol worship is. Right. It's a misunderstanding in the first place.
but then add in another culture and then it's like heathen you can't do that you know like this mm -hmm. is this is devil worship or whatever it might be and it's it's misunderstanding yeah but i'm just so glad that the conversation went there because that was such like a pivotal moment for me to under because i was really struggling with coming from christianity yeah. being an indian not understanding how i was like how i could feel like this was so right but right. feeling like, okay, I've really done it. I'm really going to hell now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I pastor, understand that. You know, as a, as a good recovering Catholic, I understand <laughs> that for sure. But you know, the, the fascinating thing about everything we're talking about, and it's really like a full circle, beautiful point, is that the nature of, of Vedanta, the nature of Bhakti Vedanta, devotional yoga, that God is loved, is that actually, what is there that's not God? Mm. How could anything actually exist that's separate from God or God's creation or creative energy? Even the material energy is in the Bhakti tradition is characterized as the female expansive aspect that brings creation into being. That energy that's hot fire, that's Maya, however, is God's eternal energy, even though its manifestations are ever changing and though it's hot fire. Bhakti Vedanta is that this soul in its non-conditioned realized self-realized state is non-different than god in quality quantitatively it's always in service to the origin in a fractal or a portion of the magnificence of the source and no matter how many divine absolute qualitative equal souls emerge right this is that it's in that trevor hall song out of the full comes the full, into the full comes the full. The full is never depleted, ain't no coming, no leaving. It's the invocation from the Isha Upanishad. This or that is full. God, the supreme absolute reality is full. However many full sparks or souls come forth, the fullness of the full remains full, and yet every soul remains perfect, complete, whole, and full, even if they enter momentarily into a state of forgetfulness. Everything that comes from the full is perfect, full, whole, and divine, mm -hmm. meaning all divine manifestations are God's and are perfect, complete, whole, and full. That's so and hard for human minds to understand. I don't think it is, and nothing is coming and going from it. Well, I should say, I think, I think. I, like, it's a riddle, actually, to, to be lived into. Yes, I think like once again, it's like until you have that experience. Right, right, right. Exactly. So far fetched. No, this is hell, right? In yeah. other words, what isn't divine in its yeah. potential? Yeah. And that's what this is exactly what we've been talking about. This is the alchemy. Yeah. And this is what I was trying to transcend, right? I was so scared of mundanity and the repetition and the boringness and this external salvation. What is life, right? Then this is what life is. You get married, you have a job, you have a kid, you do this, 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 this is what you do. Without knowing it, I was scared to death. I was scared to live. I, I didn't really want to live that way. So what did I do? There's different ways people do it, possessions, whatever. And, and some people may not do it. God bless them. But I was seeking release from that mundanity mm -hmm. through seeking it and altering my mind and you know magical magical experiences at concerts and this and that and wanting to escape right so what i've what i've personally seen and i didn't understand like you're saying i didn't understand it at the time my teacher sharon gannon said once in a class and one of hundreds of class hours i was with her she just happened to say in passing in the middle of a class nothing is mundane unless we insist that it is 
and through the process in particular of these last few years of my life, through nothing but absolute divine grace, through nothing that I've done, I've seen that mundanity itself is actually a state of mind. In the process of bhakti, is that everything has the potential to glow in its original divine spiritual potential if we choose to see it in that consciousness, meaning even our jobs, even doing the dishes, even doing the snow, even whatever it might be. It's our consciousness that we bring to it that determines our experience with it and our experience of life. In the alchemy of bhakti yoga is that everything that seems separate, dense, material, and other can glow in this divine, unified, spiritual potentiality that was always there. Well, and it's not that the object life. changes. Yeah. Right. It's our consciousness that changes. Yeah. And then you start to see, whoa, all of this was divine in its potential the whole time. Yeah. And that's where the humility and compassion comes in, that we didn't see it before. Right. And, I think and that's what like... life is for, too. So it's such a paradox and such a such a trip. I mean, I can't use any other word but trip. This is a trip. There's no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> and I think too, just like what you're saying, it's like we're in the age of the householder householder yogis. Like we're not going off to mountains or the closet. No, you know, the closet is in right, your house right, now. Right. And like whatever you need to do on a day-to-day -day basis. And like that's, you know, I think people get wrapped in like what, like if you have a job, then you can't be a yogi. It's like, that's not true. Like no. the, the yogi it's, is... It's, all the time, wherever you are, it's exactly. like you use the state of being. But it's it takes a lot of practice, and it takes being established in your in your actual spiritual practice, and then ultimately, like the walls of practice start to dissolve, and that awareness, that awareness, really, that golden divine mm -hmm. awareness, it starts going into everything, mm -hmm. you know, and then you start to see it, you know, and I mean that's the beautiful thing about the Gita. It really gives this technology, the teaching of. All right, so I, I need to pay bills. I need to do this. There are certain earthen realities, mm -hmm. you know. Well, go about your duty. Surrender everything to me, you know. Yeah. Coming back to surrender. And I mean, that's the, the, the ultimate teaching is, you know, surrender unto me. I'll, I'll take the fruits of your actions, your inactions, you know. Think of me, offer to me, remember me. Whatever you're doing, do it for me. And then I'll take what have been your karmas mm -hmm. that you might have had to take more births for, or that might have caused more Definitely. suffering reactions or even positive reactions that keep you in a false sense of what joy is even. Mm -hmm. I'll take all of that. Do not fear, right? So when they're, and I mean, it's in Psalms also. God is our strength and our shelter. Do not fear. Krishna says in Gita, do not fear. I will deliver you from all sinful reactions if you seek my shelter, if you take my refuge. Whatever name that may be, Yahweh, Christ, Buddha, Praman, you know, all that is, great spirit, yeah. you know. Um, well, if people are resonating with this, where can they connect with you Well, and have they, more of these yeah. <laughs> amazing conversations? I think the, the best way is... Um, Every Monday night, we do a 30-minute seated meditation. Just the whole point of it is to still the body, still the body, and then drop, move from the head to the heart and just be together in that space, divinely held. And mm -hmm. then we talk about we something like this for 30 minutes. So for an hour, we have satsang. 
which is talking about sat as truth sangha as attachment or a fellowship of of this truth so we talk about christ consciousness we talk about the yogic light into the teachings of christ we talk about the teachings of krishna and the gita we talk about yoga sutra we talk about our own sufferings and addictions and ocd and how it relates to everything we're doing we try to make it practical and we try to give a platform where people have the opportunity to ask questions and immerse in a an inclination to go deeper into spiritual life in a non-doctrinal non-dogmatic fashion mm. we do that every monday uh 6 30 to 7 30 east coast time okay. it's been a small gathering since covid started we're 121 weeks uh you know, you can email me at all one yoga spelled out a l l o n e y o g a at gmail dot com. But um, I'm not on Facebook much. I'm more on Instagram at John Smirtic, J o h n s m r t i c, and my website John Smirtic dot com, J o h n s m r t i c dot com. And we thank you. And we didn't get to talk about this, but you've recently started caring for crystals and curating those for people in their homes. So what is that? Such a fascinating journey that's been been very organic. Yeah. I remember when I would reach out to you and be like, Hey, what's the, what about this or this? And what am I looking for? And it's been an interesting, and it's such a fascinating thing because it actually, um, it's so reflective of everything we've been talking about. I know, but it's, it's interesting because the root of Krishna is Kr, yeah. K-R, K-R-S. And Kr. Christ too. Christ, Kr, crystal, Kr. It's crystalline mm-hmm. consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's retor- It's returning to that state of absolute. Well, they're a reminder of what we are or can be. Like right. that pressurization of our life is crystals. Yeah. Con- they're literally mm-hmm. finding crystals on our pineal gland right now. Imagine that. Calcite. Wow. Yeah, recently they found it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's actually what we're talking about. This process, this alchemy is in yoga. We call it sadhana, which means conscious spiritual practice. Sadhana is when that practice starts to see, wow, there's a deeper spiritual thing. There is like it's it goes beyond the physical practice into I'm doing this for liberation or I'm doing this to be of service. And when you're when your inclinations toward practice grow to like that spiritual level and you're doing it for that reason we could call that sadhana conscious spiritual practice and then when it becomes so fiery that like you're real you're like this is it like we're going for this we call it tapas which means to burn actually or fire and it's like the way i describe it is like it says like in order to actually achieve this enlightenment it's not a casual thing Ultimately, I mean, start at five seconds if you need to. Yeah. This relationship to our own awareness, to God, to love, to this transformation is fiery, intense. Burns all impurities. All consuming, all burning. The light of our heart, actually, the light of love burns everything. What isn't, the only thing that remains is that which cannot be burned, which is this absolute sun, S-U-N of God that we are. And it. It's like the moth. Let your mind be like the moth going to the flame. And everything that's not will be consumed in this fire. But I, I say like tapas is taking the, the coal and the pressure and the heat to turn it into a diamond. Right? And that's what Om Mane Padme Hum in the Buddhist tradition. What? The jewel is in the lotus. This pure crystalline Christ Krishna diamond radiant glowing soul consciousness. Well, this is the sacred heart, the image. The sacred heart. Yeah, that's it. I mean, the whole reality exists within us in the sacred heart. Mm. 
we it, the journey is from here to there like and that's the paradox we exist in it and yet it exists in us mm -hmm. it, it, and it's just waiting for us to remember and engage you know but that type of heat you know but anyway it's like Kerr, yeah. uh, um, Srila Prabhupada of the Krishna consciousness movement said um, Kerr means that the root of Krishna Krish or, or Krish is to attract mm -hmm. in the same with Christ mm -hmm. he said you know when he was preaching his movement in the the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra he's like right what does Christ say hallowed be thy name and, and this is actually one thing I did mean to say before when you become start to become aware of the mind and all the stories and how the mind moves on its own based upon what we impressed on it then what then try to remember your beloved and what's the gift what's the medicine mantra, mantra. the holy name christ said it hallowed be thy name and i promise you if christ is your love and your heart use the name christ it doesn't have to be something in the yogic tradition if it's blessed mother cry out for ma mm -hmm. but then start using those names in the yogic tradition it is said, and Christ says, hallowed be thy name. The name is actually divine, sacred, non-different than the being. That name is said to actually purify our hearts and is one of the, if not the greatest practice, the repetition of the holy names of God, whatever it may be. So then starting to try to want to even remember God by using names or mantras, if you're initiated on a mantra, then we start to create that new groove. And then that's how as we move through our day, we can remember God or our beloved through the repetition of the name in our hearts or in our mantras. And that's how it becomes even more practical. But hallowed be thy name, Christ, Krishna, to attract, to attract us back to God, back to love. Crystalline consciousness is synonymous. There, there could be subtle differences within schools of how they may define them, whether you're teaching Language. from an ascension school, whether you're teaching from, you know, Christ consciousness is sort of ascension school. But, you know, yeah. if you're teaching from Krishna consciousness, they wouldn't say, no, it's not it's not the same because Krishna is supreme. That gets in a whole another range of doctrine and dogma. But mm -hmm. the idea is it's that original purity in God as all attractive as the most loving, the most desirable, the most playful, the most loving, the most reciprocating, the most worthy of everything, the, the, the origin of everything, the all attractive one to attract us back. Why Christ and Krishna came to earth exactly for the time we're in now. And that crystalline consciousness is that same idea, attracting us back to that original diamond clarity and purity there's no more disturbances in the lake of the mind there's no more impurities from the fire of our sadhana so that this pure divine sun s-u-n of god that we are this divine light this divine consciousness can just shine out forth from us right and somehow i got attracted to them and somehow i'm keeping them and somehow i'm <laughs> offering oh. them and and that's crystalline love light collection but that's you know, that's something that's been fun and something to engage in. But the root of it, you know, ultimately is that like, yeah, non-different back to the and we're we're all originally innocent and pure mm -hmm. in the heart. So the journey is the return to that meditation and surrender through God's oh, grace removes all those concepts. Right. And the love children, end, right? Unless you're like a child, you cannot enter. Right. In Love Without End, he says, Yeshua says, you cannot even go near God 
with the word sin. This great reggae band culture, I think it's culture, they have this song, Zion is a holy place, no sin, ca sin cannot enter in, but it's not what we think. It means that through this process of surrender, through this process of allowing this light of awareness and meditation and prayer and devotion and how we live, to, to release all of the densities, it means that even the all concepts go, right? Buddhists, like beyond the beyond, gate gate, even conception has to go. Words go, conceptions even go. Mm -hmm. And the, why? Because for the mind to return to stillness, victim perp has to go. Us versus them has to go. Sinner saint has to go. The mind, if it's in those con concepts, yeah. it's moving, which means if it's moving, we're in the eye, which means we're missing, we're obscuring the movement of the soul. So when the mind comes to stillness, that means in that moment, there's no concepts, there's no ideas. It means through the process of the transformation, only through God's grace, even the concept of sin can be lifted from us. And then as a child in original purity, there's no question of entering because we're already there. So beautiful. You know, so it's all God's grace. There's nothing that's not God's grace, you know, but our practice helps to show our willingness to yeah. lift the veil, you know. Well, I've enjoyed like, it. Let's be like children, you know. Yeah. Undoctrinate. Immensely. Dehypnotize, undoctrinate. Original Absolutely. innocence. Be like a child again. Yeah. You know, forget all these ideas. Forget what you've been told for a second. Just investigate yourself. You know, wow. I can actually radically reclaim my own consciousness and choose to live in a way of love and unity and peace and free from all indoctrinating egoic imprisons and fear? I can do that? Holy shit. <laughs> the resistance. <laughs> yeah. God is great, you know? God is great. Well, and the thing, about, the thing about yoga, I'll just say for anybody who's yeah. listening, you can yeah. take it and go deeper into any path you may be. If you belong to a particular religion, if you belong to a particular faith or understanding, it is not any one thing. It's for everyone and anyone to go deeper into their devotion and spiritual life. So you can utilize it in the teachings. You don't have to question your faith. You don't have to question your path. Use it to go deeper. Use it to go, let it release our doubts. Yeah. Use it to release our doubts and fears mm -hmm. and go deeper into that personal relationship, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Because we're all the same. At a, in a level we can't even understand. Yeah. yeah. So beautiful. So well, thank beautiful. you so much for your time. Thank you so Bye. much, Anna G. And the your podcast and blessings to you and your beautiful family and thank you for letting me ramble and <laughs> yeah i mean you it's it's not rambling to me it's like what they call in the new age channeling <laughs> oh uh, yeah so, you know yeah that's why i wanted to have this conversation just, just uh trying to speak from the heart you know yeah it's beautiful or have the heart speak me <laughs> mm, love it you know so thank you. thank you anna blessings to you and all of your friends and students and Anyone who may be watching this, mm. infinite blessings, divine love light to you all, peace and joy and prosperity and abundance and faith and love and grace mm. and healing and light.
Thank you so much, Sean. Thanks, energy. Blessings, sister. Blessings, Satnam. Love you. Love Deep you. Friend.